Welcome to episode 26 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. My name is Adam McKinnon, your host, and joined as always by my co-host, Jim Passon Jr. Jim? Uh, good evening to you. It's good to be uh, on for number 26. And joining us is our very special guest, uh, Mr. Mark Simon from, ba- I guess, uh, Baseball Info, Sports Info Solutions. How are you, sir? Good. Both titles work. We tend to use baseball when we uh, deal with our baseball clients and sports when we deal with our sports clients or with our uh, football clients. So uh, you can call us from both. I am well. I am sitting at home in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, oh, yes. uh, where uh, it is uh, quiet. Uh, the county is under a basically a lockdown and uh, patiently uh, trying to get through all this. You know, it's uh, it's it, having uh, lived in southeastern Pennsylvania for a, a good chunk of my life. I can confirm it is always quiet, lockdown or not, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. But uh, how are you? How are how are you riding out this un, this unprecedented uh, thing here? Um, well, uh, let's see. A lot of uh, a lot of work. Uh, ideally, uh, we we still exist very much as a company, <laughs> and we're trying to. My job relates to publicizing the work that we do, hence why I'm one of the reasons why I'm here. Um, and uh, then downtime, well, uh, so today we're taping this opening day, which should have been, uh, oh. and I just finished watching Indians-Cubs Game 7. Now I've got Yankees-Diamondbacks 2001 Game 7, one of my all-time favorite games, oh. uh, on as we tape this. <laughs> well, let's Jim. just end this. All right. Well, that was a good podcast. Let's call this good. I mean, oh, my that's goodness. That's the game you chose? Oh, no, Mark. Ouch. Yeah, it's oh. a, that's a... That's a painful one, but uh, but not for me. Sleepless nights from that game. There's a lot of sleepless nights from that game. I lost a lot of friends that that day when I got text messages left and right after that game was over. So, so let me say this: I was I was a vehement Yankee hater for much of my life, um, <laughs> yep. and I've put it on hold twice. Uh, I've put it on hold for Game Seven uh, because I'm a native New Yorker, and I I just I decided to be neutral for Game Seven, Yankees Diamondbacks. Yeah, there you and go. And then I put it on hold um, the last couple of years. A, I'm I kind of straddle the line as far as journalist slash fan goes. Uh, but I worked with Aaron Boone at ESPN, and he was one of my all-time favorite people there. Uh, so he and he's the kind of person that it's very, 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 very hard to root against. So I I have neutralized my feelings. Plus, you know, I did write a Yankees book. Uh, That's true. So yes. I kind of, I kind of, uh, I kind of have to neutralize my Yankee uh, dislike. This is yeah. such a great game, though, to watch. To watch. Oh it yeah, is a, it's a crazy game. That is, it's, it was to the edge excitement. I mean, it just 
you know, fan of 29 other teams, you'd been all right with it, right? But right. more proof why low-scoring baseball is the best kind of baseball. As a as an Atlanta Braves fan, I both agree because of a one nothing win, and I uh, also disagree for a one one nothing loss. Herbeck pulled him <laughs> off the bag, but anyway, um, the uh, Mark, uh, you know, we we're so glad to have you, and I just wanted to I want to lead off with a question that. Um, uh, that I, I stole uh, unprecipitously from our good friend Rob Nyer, uh, and that I try to start most every guest with. I want to know what is your baseball origin story. Okay, I have been very eager to do this, uh, <laughs> and uh, our owner actually appeared uh, on Rob Nyer's podcast and went through his. I get to do mine. This is awesome. All right. So when uh, I was born in 1975, which is, uh, I guess, a year of one of the all-time great World Series. When I was four, my dad took me to a baseball game, Giants and Mets, uh, Vida Blue pitched. Only detail I know. Uh, and I complained the whole time that all they do is go like this. And I mimicked <laughs> pitching and hitting. And my dad was mortified because he was this huge baseball fan growing up. And uh, how could his child not be a baseball fan? <laughs> so then yeah. kindergarten at, uh, at All Souls Church on 80th Street in Manhattan. One day, I guess I was playing baseball, and I hit a ball off the fence. And hey, I showed some athletic skill. Hooray. How great is that? <laughs> Hooray. So, so I was like, okay, feelings start to turn a little bit. My dad owns a candy store. Every day in 1981, he would bring home a pack of baseball cards, 1981 Tops. And uh, you would have like your, uh, I know some of the poses in my head. I can, I can kind of picture them as we go. Uh, and it had a scratch-off game. And the scratch-off game led you to win uh, prizes. And the prize I won after probably 50 packs was the Home Run Book, a book by uh, Xander Hollander that told the history of the home run. And it was tolerable reading, surprisingly, for a six-year-old kid. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I got through it, and uh, I was... I was a terrible athlete, but a great reader. And <laughs> I had this reputation with my family of that I'll read anything. So I started reading the newspapers and reading box scores. And then uh, I, uh, for my eighth, I think it was right around the time of my eighth birthday, I was given the 1983 Bill James Baseball Abscart. I couldn't pronounce it. I called it the Abscart. A-B-S-C-A-R-T. I had to be corrected. Mom, Dad. Why are these formulas like? Why are things next to each other, but there's no plus or minus or multiplication <laughs> or division? How does all this work? I didn't know any of the stuff that was in it, but I liked the charts. I liked the little sarcastic anecdotes that he would have that a, a an eight year old kid trying to learn, you know, people from the 1960s or whatever. And I got into it and. Uh, so it kind of grew from there. My favorite player was Neil Allen. He was a relief pitcher for the Mets. I never root for the stars. I always root for kind of the secondary guy. Right. Uh, and Neil Allen uh, was in a terrible slump in 1983. He was horrible. And we went to a baseball card show, and uh, my dad used to make T-shirts, and he made a T-shirt with Neil Allen's rookie card right on it. <laughs> and we went to the card show, and Neil Allen's looking down and looking down and not, not being really nice to anybody in line. But I come up, and I hand him the, the card to sign, and my dad says, Neil, look at the shirt. And Neil Allen looks up, and his demeanor completely changes. <laughs> he's, like, super nice, and he's like, oh, I got to pitch better for you, kid. Uh, here's the kicker. Like, maybe two, three weeks later, he was traded for Keith Hernandez. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I still rooted for the Mets uh, as a kid. 
but I stayed loyal, and I have been loyal to Neil Allen, my first favorite player for the entirety of my life. Wow. All right, let's 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 condense the story a little bit and just get to the kind of the, the meat of it. I was a terrible little leaguer. I couldn't hit. But again, going back to that, I could read. I could do numbers. I have memories in 1986 of doing a preseason baseball newsletter, uh, which was my first journalistic venture. Nice. Uh, where me and my friend David uh, were writing summaries of the 1985 Blue Jays and the 1985 Royals <laughs> and the Cardinals and the Dodgers and trying to preview their seasons as 10 year old kids 11 year old kids so i was i was somewhat sophisticated that that whole thing ended in scandal though when david tried to give his mom a free copy and not charge (laughs) her 20 cents that was problematic so all right scandal i have just to move on though like um that that's those are my earliest baseball memories is that a good story that is that is that that, that's that's my (laughs) favorite you didn't charge your mom a quarter for that you know how hard we work I know. Like, what's going on with that? What are you doing? I should mention, too, that the 86 Mets are very pivotal to my life as a baseball fan. And that was a year where I probably watched, um, I don't want to say every game, but I watched games uh, at a bulk level. And just one more brief aside. My life, and you guys will appreciate this as lovers of random tidbits, my life has kind of been built on being the connoisseur of the random tidbit. 1985, we went to a Met Astro doubleheader game. One of the games, the final score was 16 to 4. And I'm keeping score. My dad taught me to keep score when I was 10 years old. How, how can a 10-year-old kid right. be keeping score in our little odd lot scorebook uh, <laughs> that, that we paid 99 cents for at the, the thrift shop or whatever? And uh, and I'm like, Dad, the Astros gave up 16 unearned runs. This doesn't make sense. I couldn't <laughs> have been doing it right. You look 30 years later, 25, 30, 30, 35 years later, the Astros gave up 16 unearned runs that day. It is the most unearned runs allowed, I believe, in a major league game. And and for those who don't quite get the irony of this parallel here, is that your book is built, everything that you've done, not everything, but like the crux of your work since then has been all based on defense, preventing yes. unearned runs. <laughs> That is, that is correct. I thought you were going to say numbers, but yes. Right, numbers, that is, yes. That's that's fabulous. Okay. Yes, and and I, I, think, I think I answered your question, hopefully. And just to educate people on who the heck I am, uh, I used to work at ESPN. I was there 15 years. I spent nine years working on baseball tonight behind the scenes. Uh, I've been a journalist six and a half years at the Trenton Times. I write for The Athletic. I'm all over the place. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, it, kinda... it, honestly, that that answers my second question. Like you, you, st- you, you started at ESPN as a researcher. You've written. I mean, I've. Seen, I think you popped up in the Washington Post. You've been with. Yeah. No, I've been quoted probably you've been Washington quoted Post. in the Washington Post. You've been quoted in the Washington Post. You've been, uh, you know, you're with the Athletic. Um, you know, your Sports Info Solutions, among others. You know, and reading some interviews you've done in the past where. You know, you, you kind of started off at working in like, you know, one of the your early specialties was was hockey. Uh, you, you've kind of covered a, a lot of sports along the way. What what has the journey been like and how did you you know, was it something where you always knew you were going to end up back in baseball or was it just a series of uh, a series of happy events that led to that? 
Well, there, there's a good series of happy events story that could, I guess, get as involved as what I just told. I'll, I'll try and be calmer for, for this one. Um, <laughs> I've known what I wanted to do pretty much since I was six. There are people in my elementary school yearbook uh, who signed it. Uh, why, don't, why don't you become an accountant instead of <laughs> someone who loves sports statistics? <laughs> so, um, so I have made my career path, as I said, six uh, college. Um, a professor helped me get a job at the Trenton Times. I worked there for six and a half years. I covered everything from little league to high school to minor league hockey. Three years minor league hockey, we treated it like the NHL. It was awesome. Um, I covered, uh, I was the unusual features guy. So I had the figure skater who was 12 and the octogenarian runner who ran 5Ks and the karate champion of the, of the, the Mercer County. Um, so I, I ran the gamut and I knew that I wanted to write, but I was never going to be made full time there. So I said, this is the time in my life, age 26, where I need to start thinking about dream job kind of thing. Like, what could I get if I wanted to go somewhere? So the options were like Sports Illustrated, New York Daily News, ESPN. In August of 2001, the Mariners and the Indians played a baseball game in which the Mariners uh, trailed, uh, led rather, uh, 12-0. Uh, this is the 2,116 win Mariners. The Indians came back and won the game in extra innings. The next day, I wrote Jason Stark an email for his useless information column that said, I'd like to tell you the story of the greatest comeback ever that wasn't this game. It's the time that Charlie Brown was pitching in relief of Peppermint Patty, who decided she could leave the game with a 50 to nothing lead and the lead was safe. Peppermint Patty got beamed by the first pitch Charlie Brown threw behind the plate because she was trying to sell popcorn, uh, got knocked out. When she came to, Charlie Brown standing over her says, what happened in the game? Didn't we win, right? We were up 50 to nothing with two outs in the ninth. 51 runs in the bottom of the ninth. Charlie Brown's team lost the game. So I wrote that to Jason Stark, and he ran it in his useless information column. Uh, and like right after that, I went to a reporter I knew who had worked with Jason briefly, who sat next to him at Game 6 of the 86 World Series. And I said, Jason Stark, a nice guy. If I write him back, will he write back? And the guy said, yeah, write Jason Stark. So I wrote Jason Stark, and I said, Jason, I've always wanted to work on baseball tonight. I know that ESPN has researcher jobs. I applied for one for that wound up being for college hoops in 1997. I'm sure they have the same kind of thing for, for baseball, but I don't want to get trapped in the human resources malaise that is a major corporation. So can you just give me the name, just the name of the person who would be in charge of hiring people who work on baseball tonight? And he wrote back! <laughs> and he wrote back name. And uh, I wrote that person. That person, miracle of miracles, to a complete stranger, wrote back with the correct name of the person that I was supposed to get. <laughs> and about four or five months later, I was sitting in a room at ESPN uh, answering questions on why I thought Keith Hernandez was a better Hall of Fame candidate than Steve Garvey and Bill Buckner. Wow. And, and that turned into 15 years. I answered the question correctly. <laughs> that turned into 15 years working on uh, different things at ESPN, whether it was their game broadcast behind the scenes helping educate their announcers, whether it was baseball tonight for nine years, seven as the, the head person information-wise on the show, educating the talent, talking to Harold Reynolds, talking to Aaron Boone, talking to uh, Carl Ravitch, Tim Kirkchen, all the different people. Uh, and then like five, six years working on ESPN Stats Info Twitter uh, and being like kind of the founding father of a Twitter at zero that went to a million and a half followers. Uh, and then realizing that ESPN had kind of not 
uh, lost its interest in baseball a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I felt like another change was necessary because I was burning out uh, and I was getting frustrated. ESPN had a relationship with Sports Info Solutions. Uh, I, that, their relationship now exists on the college football side. It doesn't exist on the baseball side. Sure. Um, I had mentioned at one point to the people there that uh, if they ever had a job that was well-suited for a writer, hey, give me a call. And, and they gave you a call. Not, not long uh, after uh, I had gotten frustrated, they gave me a call. Uh, <laughs> and we worked it out, and I moved to uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, I will say that I have no, like animosity with ESPN or the people there. I still deal with, deal with them frequently. It's, I still enjoy talking to uh, all the people there. Uh, it was the right time for me to, to get out, though. And uh, this is year three at Sports Info Solutions, where the pride of our work, as you said, is uh, defensive statistical analysis in baseball. And we're building uh, some other things, too. We're building a nice football business uh, to go with our baseball business. Sure. And I, 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 can't, I can't believe it's only year three. You've yeah. done you've done you've done so much over there in in three years. It's right. it's ridiculous. <laughs> it seems like you've been there at least a, a, a decade now. It's crazy. So you're, you're probably referring to all the times I've retweeted their uh, the stats that I've tweeted from their account. <laughs> it's just so much. I mean, the, the work that you guys do over there. It's uh, it, 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 when you find something cool, of course you should be putting it out there. That's that's the reason why. That's why y'all should be following Sports Info Solutions, right? Yep, sports, sports Info. Sports Info. SIS. Exactly. The, uh... Get on. You know, and that's one of the things, you know, you kind of, kind of, again, you're just, you're just a wonderful guest. You just lead me right into the next question. Um, <laughs> well, I usually ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> True. One of the subjects you've really put a lot of emphasis on is defensive statistics and metrics, you know, an area that, it, it, and, and I think Jim, you would agree with me on this, it, that it's been largely underreported and, and it's really just evolved over over time you know what i mean like it wasn't until 2002 we or 2003 in that area where we even got defensive runs saved in its rawest form um it's been a largely underreported uh in until really this latest the latest batch of the sort of the data-driven revolution um you know in the game what what really drew you mark to this subject what 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 what, what made it stick out to you I think the key word there is underreported, and I mentioned before that I always rooted, never rooted for the star. I always rooted for kind of the <laughs> secondary guy. I like kind of the the secondary story uh, and the stuff that that kind of goes under the radar. There are a lot of people that can cover uh, the top top stories, and that's fine. And there are a lot of people who do it amazingly well. I like niches, and I like areas where I can really dig in. Uh, and they came, uh, the company came to ESPN, whatever year it came, and introduced all this stuff to us and i was like this is where it's headed and this is this is something that i can develop an expertise in where i'll be at the front of the pack um right and and that was kind of the the goal with this was to to uh, really be well educated and i remember we started having a conference call and i would invite other colleagues to be on the call and they were like well you're on it so you could you'll you'll just summarize it uh, for us and we'll be fine <laughs> so i i took the time to learn it uh I, the thing that's key for me is putting it into an easy to explain uh, fashion, which I think is tricky for a lot of people, and it's been interesting uh, the exchanges that I've had uh, over the last couple of years, and the exchanges that I had at ESPN while this was uh, kind of going on, and 
it's not perfect. I fully admit that the, that the numbers are have uh, some imperfections to them, uh, but it's better than what was, and it tells us some things that we probably didn't know and didn't realize uh, that are worth knowing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I love the direction that's gone. I do. It's it was just. Growing up, right? I mean, what did we have, right? I mean, we had like fielding percentage, right? <laughs> that's it, right? I mean, you know, I, we're probably going to touch this a little bit more in our next section, but great fielding percentage is what we had for a uh, decade, decade, more, 11 decades, really, basically. Right. That's all we had, right? So, um, yeah, I, I look, uh, yeah, I, I love where the, where we've gotten. I love the fact that it, keeps evolving so that uh we're getting we're getting better at it right and and I, that's what it needs to be it needs to become a little bit more commonplace for everybody to be able to say okay hey check out you know the drs check out uh part right let's right. uh let's um, make it normal just like an rbi would have been back in the day where hey we've got a better statistic now we're using something else now and this is something that needs to be pushed towards the forefront and you know this is the way to do it Puts more yep, emphasis. Oh, go uh, ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that's where things like uh, the writing and the appearances on something like this and Twitter uh, come in. Uh, it's a little hard to convey some things in social media, but uh, we try. Uh, and uh, I think the the pinpointing of specific examples of hey, this this play, the guy made it, uh, and it, it it really wasn't necessarily that great of a play because it's turned with a high frequency uh, to be able to explain things like that to people is a little tricky. Uh, but if people are willing to indulge us and give us time, uh, we, we've penetrated through, I can tell you we've penetrated through on a couple of uh, game broadcasts. We have some clients uh, that are broadcast clients where a couple of times a year uh, <laughs> name drop, I'm uh, feeding information to, Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez on the Ooh. men game, oh, and they're not turning man. it away. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, and we have the Giants uh, broadcasters too, Crook and Kipe, and they're very old school, and they're a little tough nut to crack, but we get them with certain things. And um, that's a widely and, regarded, like widely acclaimed team, by the oh, way. Like yeah, the KMBR guys are great. That's yes. a great group. That's yep. incredible. John Miller. Uh, uh, San Francisco broadcasters. Oh, you yeah. got uh, Dave Fleming and John Miller on the radio side and Crook and Kipe on the TV side. Honestly, with Crook and Kipe, just to give you an education on other things that we do, the thing that I think that gets them is we do an umpire scouting report for every game. So if you want to know if you know Joe West has a small... A smaller inside corner than most umpires, or how might um, Bill Miller's uh, umpiring work with Buster Posey tonight? We've got that, and we can tell them. And Mike tends to know the really veteran umpires, uh, but with the younger umpires, I think he's very open to what we have to say, and uh, it's a different way to uh, evaluate the game. Interesting. Okay. Well. Well. Speaking of, go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. Oh, I think uh, I'm ready for the next section. Yeah, I was going to say. We need to go to break. Yeah, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all of this because we're Jim and I are like busting at the seams to ask you about this. So, (laughs) so Bible five. Come on. Let's yeah, let's jump. Let's go. All right. All right. All right. I'm going. I'm going. I love the story, Mark, but let's move on. (laughs) All right. We'll be right back. And we're back. 
And uh, staying, hanging out with us tonight is Mark Simon of uh, Sports Info Solutions. And we are just, we're like really, uh, the energy is just palpable in here because we are getting ready to talk about my, one of my favorite things, which is defensive t- statistics, but specifically the sort of industry standard guide for this, the Fielding Bible. And, uh, Mark, I, a lot of our listeners, you know, anyone who listens to the show probably knows what the fielding Bible is, but not as many know what it does, like what its place in the universe really is. Can you, as best you can kind of explain what the mission of the fielding Bible? Sure. I think that the easiest way to describe it is as a defensive statistics encyclopedia and a defensive research encyclopedia. This is a book that's been coming out every few years since, I think, 2006. And in each book, they've introduced something new that attempts to take the story further as far as defense is concerned. In the case of this year's book, the volume five, um, the, the primary thing that we added to the conversation was... We were having a very hard time um, with defensive shifts and evaluating players properly in a defensive shift and evaluating players based on where they were positioned on the field because baseball 2020 is a different game from baseball 2003 when the book was was when the 2006 when the, I think the first one came out. Mm-hmm. So we were um, we were looking for uh, a way to deal with that in a better way. And over a period of years, camera angles, technology, a number of things have played a part uh, in allowing us to separate positioning, meaning where, where the guy stood on the field, from performance, meaning did the guy get to the ball? And did the guy complete the play? Uh, and now we can separate all of those components for an infielder uh, in a good way. With outfield, it's still a little bit difficult, uh, but it's a way of telling the story in a more complete way. And just the way that, that this has progressed, the first thing that was introduced was like a plus-minus kind of system uh, that allowed you to evaluate, okay, how often is this play made relative to other uh, to by uh, by this player relative to other players in the major leagues is right. it a 70 percent out rate is it a 20 percent out rate there's a big difference between the quality of play in terms of how much value you're gaining uh by making it uh then uh there was the idea of can we put a run value on it hence defensive runs saved then there were uh, along the way there were ideas of how do you deal with stolen bases how do you deal with an outfielder's throwing arm how do you deal with ground ball double plays how do you deal with catcher framing uh, all of these things became projects for people in the company people much smarter than I am uh, on the mathematical side that were able to create uh, systems that allowed us to do this. Now, uh, where this comes into play is that we have more than 20 team clients that subscribe to our data, and we have data of all different types. It's not just fielding, but also pitching and hitting, uh, and minor leagues in Japan, and college. Uh, we're very uh, aggressive in tracking a lot of things that the public doesn't even see. Um, so uh, that's that's how we survive. Uh, we've also introduced all of this stuff publicly with the idea being that if it's out there in the public, it uh, enhances the name recognition and enhances the value of it. People become familiar with it and it becomes a more desirable product. Sure. Um, that's where I come in in a lot of ways. So this book, Fielding Bible Volume 5, I like to say that it has something for everyone. It has your statistical 
aspect to it where you can learn about how the stats uh how the stats are cooked i guess so to speak right uh and you can uh you can go through your favorite players you can go through every team we have an essay on every team we have articles research articles and they're not long articles we have one on why is paul de young considered an elite defensive shortstop in 2019 a view that is not necessarily commonplace we have a thing on um what happens when a fielder changes positions? How much value does he gain or lose by going from center field to right field? That's with the, a, a with the utility, yeah, with the evolving of the super utility player, that's information that, uh, Jim, I'm sure you'd agree, that's not commonly accessible. Oh, yeah, no. How do you how do you quantify it, right? I mean, eh, that, that was always a mystery to us. That's why we got Mark and the mathematicians, right? So that we can start... <laughs> figuring it out right i yep. mean you you went with positioning and stuff like that to start getting a you know okay where was he standing to begin with you know so that you can be able to decide hey was did they make the play like anybody else would have from that spot or what the average person would have right and let me just give you an example so take someone like fernando tatis jr for the padres uh who is an incredible athlete an incredibly skilled baseball player who's going to be a megastar uh in this game fernando tatis jr was outstanding last season at getting to balls uh it didn't matter where he was positioned he could get to the ball wherever it was hit and we were able to we're able to with our system pinpoint that he's great at that uh in fact i think he had the the third highest value when it came to shortstops as far as getting to balls is concerned. The problem that Fernando Tatis Jr. had was trying to complete the play because his throws were all over the place. Um, so he wound up uh, ranking last among shortstops in the throwing component of our statistic. Hmm. Uh, we were able to separate the two. So now we're not just telling you Fernando Tatis rated as a below average shortstop, negative three defensive run saved. We can tell you why. Because he was the worst in baseball uh, at making throws to try to complete plays, even though he was so, so good. He was very lucky that he was good at getting to balls because otherwise he would have been a minus 15. He's only a minus three. He's got room to improve. He's a young player. He's probably going to get a lot better. It's interesting because, you know, you look at, like, uh, wasn't it uh, just this year with baseball, like baseball savant issued the, the outs above average, right? Well, that yep. that's, the, that's the sort of summary. What you're doing is you're breaking it out and saying like, hey, by the way, this is why this, this is components that people don't always think about. You know what I right. mean? I, I was privileged to watch uh, Andrelton Simmons in, in the prime of his career being in Atlanta. And so you, you'd watch these things like, wow, like he does this and that, you know, you don't run into players in, and you don't always get the full story of like players like Tatis where they, they get to everything, but what happens next? Right, exactly. Um, and uh, Andrelton Simmons and uh, Matt Chapman and Kevin Kiermeyer are kind of the kings of when course. it comes to defensive runs saved, uh, as they should be. And Andrelton uh, is like double any other shortstop over a period of like five, six years. Even when he's hurt, he still finishes in the top three or four. Yeah, it's, uh, it's he's, stupid. He's fantastic. <laughs> it's so it, just to go with this, it, like outs above average helps add to the conversation. And we don't like push it away we want we want people to be talking about this stuff so hey look at both that's fine we want you to look at ours if you look at the, if looking at theirs gets you to, looking at mlb gets you to looking at ours we're perfectly happy with that if looking at ours gets you to looking at theirs great keep the conversation going right, right. yeah and i mean just looking at yours right i mean uh 
I mean, you guys put inside your book. You guys, you you guys. I mean, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, you guys announced it on Twitter too. You're all decade team, right? Yep. And that's in the book with some nice little explanations of of uh, the players in there also, right? I mean, if you want to know if if uh, Sports Info Solutions is barking up the right tree, right? I mean, look at the all decade team. I mean, seriously, Paul Goldschmidt. Pedroia, Simmons, and Arenado around the infield. Uh, you got Alex Gordon, Lorenzo Kane, and Jason Hayward in the outfield. And then you got Yadier Molina, Zach Greinke at pitcher. And I love that you guys went with a multi-position player and got Javier Baez in that too. <laughs> that team, I mean, seriously, I mean, you you put Greg Maddox or something like that. I mean, well, just leave Zach Greinke on the mound. Just let that team play defense. I mean, they're gonna throw, they're gonna put a shutout on the board. I mean. 81 games out of the year. It's so one of, one of the things that I tell to people that look at the defensive stats is don't just look at one one guy. We've got the top five in there. Our top five might not be exactly the same as your top five at each position, but I'm guessing we got three or four uh, right. of your top five. And I'm like, I don't think many people are going to disagree with uh, Arenado and uh, Adrian Beltre being uh, one, two at third base, uh, even with Matt Chapman having done what he did. Um, yep. Like, uh, don't don't just pinpoint one thing with us. Uh, it's kind of like home runs or bad. Like Bill Miller hit three thirty one year, right? You don't yeah, <laughs> great. Him or hate the statistic because of of, of that. Uh, you look at the the bigger picture, and I think over. And I think that that one thing that we've gotten from the people that have had the time that have given us the time is that when you look at the, the, everything in its totality uh you may not agree on a, a, a couple of little things but hey if we're gonna exchange the lists off the top of our head we're not gonna agree anyway right so, you know. well you know I, I kind of jim really touched on it and i think i want to expand on it a little bit the the awards section of this like it's a really enlightened thing and i, and I kind of want to draw out for the re, for the listeners just a little bit uh, you know these are very informed decisions i mean some of the this is these are just some of the people that really help you uh, determine this you know our friend friend of the show rob nyer uh, ben Lindbergh, christina carl Peter Gammons, Meg Rowley, Beg, Bill James, Chris Singleton, uh, Jeff, uh, excuse me, uh, Jim, uh, there's one name I don't see on there. Do you, do you, do you know who I'm hinting at here? Mm, I, I don't see uh, Jeff Passon. I don't, see, I don't see Jeff Passon either. So Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, you're welcome uh, to come. Obviously, this, 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 uh, the second of the, the good Passon. Yeah, right? obviously. So, so yeah, you're welcome Jeff, on the show, Jeff. Come on, buddy. Jeff, if you ever hear. Quit ducking us. Quit ducking us. All right, so. Yeah, yeah, we're not. I have no idea what you're talking about, but sure, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, free, free episode, Mark. You need to listen, I guess, more. Yeah, right? really. We're always trying to get the other passing on there. He spells his name wrong. I spell mine yeah. right, right? I want to know in there. He puts an extra A in his, but yeah, he dunked on me pretty hard the other day. Yeah, we're yeah. we're not happy about it, and he needs to come yeah. on the show to answer for it. Yeah, but that's that not pole, the that but that's not the point. <laughs> I that, did not rig that poll. I said, "Who's your favorite passing?" I won that, and then I retweeted it, and then Jeff passing came on and it was just like my favorite passing is the one that doesn't retweet himself and then that thing got like more likes than i think i even got votes in the polls so. this is not about you jeff passing yeah anyway yeah, this is this is not about you so we, but the point is after this side tangent this is a very informed group of people so the, and and what i like about the group of people that do this you do have a lot of interesting perspectives that all come in you know Peter Gammons, you know, these are guys that really bring different perspectives. So can you tell me how you came to this sort of 
this sort of advice should i call it an advisory board is it is that an all-star team yeah an all-star team there you go so i i kind of stepped into the middle of this uh like this had already been formed at the time uh of my uh joining the company i recruited uh, a few people uh you mentioned meg uh, you mentioned christina uh they were uh on my list chris singleton uh is our former player representative um yeah uh they uh, so well bill james is like a co-owner of the company and his name carries some pretty good weight and John Dewan used to own Stats Inc. Uh, he's the owner of the company. He uh, was one of the co-authors on the book, so he's able to uh, get people like um, uh, people like Peter Gammons and Rob Nyer. These are all people that uh, have built up a relationship with with the company. I think it helps to speak to uh, validate just how uh, solid we are. Yeah, it really it really does. And and it and it what you have managed to do. And what I think is the mo- probably the most admirable trait of the book is that you really do approach the approach the the project uh, with a it's a very heady subject. It's really easy to kind of get lost in the whole cerebral end of it, but you really do present it in a very digestible way that I, I think is kind of lost. It, it does kind of get lost a little bit in the the sabermetric community of today. So I think the important thing to remember there is that when it comes down to it, the the key things that you think about with defense are, was the guy able to turn batted balls into outs? Was he able to make the difficult play? Was he able to throw the guy out trying to advance the extra base? Was he able to turn the double play? A lot of these are, ye- a lot of these are yes, no questions. And in the end, we're kind of formulating something in our head uh, about them. It's never been put on paper. Or it hadn't been put on paper until 2003. Now we're just translating all those thoughts that are in your head about a player on the defensive side, and we're putting a numerical value on it that is rooted in comprehensive amounts of data that will tell us this was a valuable play to make. This was not a valuable play to make. This guy turns the double play well. This guy doesn't. This guy frames pitches well. This guy doesn't. Uh, all those things. When you look at it that simply, you almost could even just take the math and put it on the side and just look at the conceptual idea of it. Um, it's just like talking about pitching or talking about hitting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's an equally important facet of the game. You, you you touched on it a little bit there too. Again, you're just you're just you're just making my job so much easier. <laughs> you're just leading one into the other. Um, the biggest and the most no, one of the most notable developments for this edition was the revision to defensive runs saved. Um, you know, for the listeners, can you and this and this was something that was pretty. I mean, I think was pretty well well documented right when it came out. But I, I want to know, can you elaborate on these changes? And sure. were there any players that you that made you uh, sort of changed your perception on them because of these revisions? Sure. So we revised, uh, as I was talking about, with uh, shifts and positioning, and we were able to take positioning and move it out because that's now a team thing. The team decides where you stand. You might make a decision on a step or two, but the general area where you're supposed to be is being decided on by a bench coach uh, or coaches with laser pointers in the <laughs> case of the Dodgers. Right. Um, uh, in fact, I shouldn't necessarily critique. Um, <laughs> no, no um, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so, okay, so we, what we're now doing is instead of saying... Um, I need to think of a good a good example. So, 
Andrew T- Simmons is playing shortstop, but he's positioned up the middle, and the ball's hit right at him. Uh, he shouldn't get a big spike for that. That's right. an easy play. The ball's hit right at him. If it's hit right at you, you make the play. In the old version of our statistic, we didn't know where Andrelton Simmons was standing. So we were giving him credit uh, for um, for making that play, even though he was standing right where he should have been standing. So we were treating it as if he was making a dash to his right to make the play. So he would get, let's say he would get like 0.8. Uh, play saved. We have a play saved metric that's between zero and one. He would get like 0.8 for making what appeared to be a difficult play if you didn't know where he was standing. Yep. Uh, but you know where he's standing. So now instead of it being a 80% play, an 80% gain for him, it's now a 20% gain for him because right. all he has to do is pick up the ball in a couple of hops and make the throw onto first base. Um, so he um, he doesn't get the benefit of uh, the positioning aspect of it. The team now gets credit for, hey, we put him in the right spot. We were smart, and we have that computed. We have a team positioning value uh, and a team shifts uh, value that get factored into a team's defensive run save total. But for the individual, what we're most concerned with was how much ground did you have to cover, and did you complete the play by making the throw or stepping on the bag or doing whatever you had to do? So you, you're, when you whittle those things out, and I should point out, this was something that people didn't like about defensive run saved. We didn't count shift plays in the previous version for the player. We counted okay. them entirely, 100% for the team. So the player got nothing, even when he made a great play. Now, the team gets credit for putting the guy in the shift, the player gets credit for making the great play, and as a result, some players' values spike. If your team shifts a lot, we weren't counting 40%, 50% of your plays. Now we're counting them. Thus, Matt Chapman's value right. doubles. Uh, Paul DeYoung, uh, the the kind of the poster boy for the stat, uh, the change in the stat, his value goes way up. Javi Baez, his value goes way up. Uh, these are guys who are really good in shifts. Miguel Rojas of the Marlins, his value goes down because when the Marlins put him in a defensive shift, he couldn't make the plays. Uh, so he lost um, defensive runs saved for that. Most players weren't impacted a lot, but uh, there are a decent number of players that were impacted some. And uh, in the case of DeYoung and Chapman, uh, it just to show to further enhance their value. Gotcha. Now, so what are you using at Sports Info Solutions to measure so that you know positioning and know your distance? And uh, if a guy got to a ball, if he got to a ball completely and made a play with it, what are you using to make that measurement? Okay, so this is where um, a couple of things. One, uh, we have video scouts. Uh, these are people that are seasonal employees. Uh, they uh, come in uh, usually in February or March, and they stick around for four or five months. Uh, some stick around to October, and then we have full-timers that supervise them and do some of the work as well. Uh, they're watching every pitch of every game, and they're tracking it on some specialized software that was built uh, when when we were just kind of uh, getting going uh, and has been enhanced over the years. So. We're using video, and I'm sure some people will say, well, that's not exact. Uh, I will tell you that uh, we have multiple people watching. We get it as exact as we can get it. Uh, I can tell you, especially with, with uh, well, both sports. Which is still uh, light years, by the way, ahead of anything we've ever... I mean, this is groundbreaking right. that's, type that's stuff. That's the key point. It, it, it don't let 
the imperfection get in the way of the very good. Right. Um, so, so they're tracking everything, and they are all when there's no coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> they're all sitting around desks in the same area, and they're uh, constantly conversing. Hey, could you take a look at this one and see if I got it right? Uh, do you think this was a home run robbery? Let's watch it ten times and try and figure out if his glove was over the fence. Um, it's taken seriously. It's really like taken seriously. That sounds like a terrible time. Oh my god, uh, that's so, how so, brutal. Let, let's point out the people that are video scouts. Uh, it's an entry level job. Admittedly, uh, it's you're starting from the ground up. Video scout uh, of the past is now a GM of a Major League Baseball team. Eric Neander, the GM of the Rays, got his start at our company and has spoken uh, about his time in newspaper articles uh, since then. One of the former assistant GMs of the Washington Nationals got his start as a video scout. The PR director was a video scout of the team, was a, of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, was a video scout. Um, it's fairly well known in the industry that if you worked for us as a video scout and you were credible and you did a good job that you're someone that becomes more marketable uh for whether it's major league teams or minor league teams because uh, minor league teams are now getting very active in trackman stuff and sure. uh, things of that sort and they want people that are technologically savvy uh who can handle things like that so that's that's uh those are the people that track it they're tracking off video they've got both feeds of the game up so you got home and away to get you as many camera angles as possible uh we have access to some other camera angles i won't necessarily get into it to to that but we have access if you needed to see like to try and figure out if a team was shifting right. uh we can tell you for uh an overwhelming number of the plate appearances in the major leagues <laughs> last season we can tell you whether or not there was a defensive shift on whether you saw it at home or not um okay. so so they're working hard. Uh, they're very, uh, they're very comprehensive. I tried to like train on it just for the experience of training on it, and I, I, I didn't last very long. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's uh, it's it, a, that's a amazing. completely different way to watch a game because one thing that, that we that we do that's cool that we don't really, I publicize it on Twitter and in articles, but it's not like out there. We have a system called the good fielding play system where we've got 30 categories of things that a fielder can do that are good to make a play and 60 categories of screw-ups. <laughs> uh, the 30 categories of good range from home run robbery, which has a value, by the way, that gets added to a player's defensive run save. Um, it could be something like keeping the ball in the infield to keep a runner from going first to third on a hit. It could be cutting a ball off uh, down the line. It could be uh, handling a double, double play despite a really aggressive slide. The misplays are things like slipping and falling, um, failure to... You know how you, you, you never give the guy an error when he's trying to turn a double play? Right. We essentially give the error. Uh, <laughs> on those. Um, and when you watch a game like that just once, it's crazy because now you're trying to think, okay, we've got 30 rules and 60 rules and I got to know all these rules and there's 90 possible things that could happen on every play. And I've sat next to my dad and the only thing that, that we can do is when a guy makes a diving stop, I'll turn to him and I'll be like, that was a GFP. Uh, good fielding play, and he usually <laughs> substitutes something else for F. Right. But, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, that's 
that's the easiest way to explain it. You like one of the categories of good field they play is just simply ground ball out, uh, where we're rewarding the guy for a web chip. Now I should mention that teams subscribe to this data uh, and have put it to use for instructional purposes. If they see a guy is doing one thing uh, not well, uh, they can hone in on that and talk to the guy about it. So uh, one of the things that uh, you know, one of the things that this book is that this uh, I guess could I call it a book or a project? Is that more appropriate? Whatever. It's a, it's a Bible. It's a Bible. One thing <laughs> that the Bi- that the Bible does here, um, you know, we all know that Andrelton Simmons, Matt Chavman, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, we know they're good, right? But when you put this data together, I was curious from your perspective when you're when you're assembling this this uh, this Bible, um, did you notice any players that kind of surprised you? You know, I know we talked about like Paul DeYoung, for example. Um, were there any, but, and then, you know, they surprised you. And then did you find yourself making a case for this player? Like, did you find, like, for example, one was like uh, when I was looking over some of the defensive runs saved, like Brett Gardner. Mm-hmm. Like, I was looking at him and I thought, I would not think of Brett Gardner as a guy with like a really like great arm. But this, you know, I don't watch a lot of Yankees baseball. But, you know, you just look at some of these metrics and I'm thinking like, man, like this is a guy. Okay, like he's he's a solid fielder. Maybe he's underrated as a player. Like overall, like, did you find yourself with any of these, any of these, like, wow, like I didn't know. And now I want to defend this person, you know? Yeah. Let me go case in point here with, with Brett Gardner, Brett Gardner. One of the things that our arm metric does is it rewards the guy who gets to the ball quickly, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is where, where that comes in with Brett Gardner is that when he's in left field, he's charging hits aggressively. So the guy that's on second is not scoring, not necessarily because Brett Gardner has a cannon, but because Brett. Gardner got to the ball quickly, and that gets factored into his arm rating. So the arm is actually a little bit more than just the throwing arm. It's the getting to the ball uh, kind of thing. It's not just measuring was a quality throw. Uh, guys that I think are better than I thought, uh, or that the metrics made me reconsider for 2019, I think high on the list would be Hunter Renfro, who finished three six seventh in the majors in defensive runs saved and among outfielders he was like second or third um he had a combination of things going for him one was the arm one was that he was good in right field and he was good in left field um he wasn't necessarily uh overwhelming but he was pretty good uh and it added up uh and he was able the i know that there were articles written about how he had worked on his getting to balls uh quicker because uh, he kind of he has a kind of more of a lumbering kind of body if i if i remember right mm-hmm. another one that i think is important the last two years colton wong uh, Colton Wong's won a couple of gold gloves, uh, and deservedly so. And um, I guess if you're a Cardinal fan, you probably have an appreciation for Colton Wong. But if you're not, uh, he's very good, and the the metrics will bear that out. Uh, he was someone that gained uh, a little bit from uh, defensing in uh, defensing and defensive shifts. Uh, so those are my guy would be my guys for this year. I'm looking at other names. David Fletcher had a really good year as a utility guy. Somebody um, tell foolish baseball. Nick Ahmed uh, is a shortstop that I think that maybe sometimes gets overlooked because of the market in which he plays. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's a good one. Gerard Dyson uh, doesn't play a lot, 
but on a per inning basis, he's like it's like him and Kiermaier are like your top two outfielders because in the time that he's on the field, he does get to balls uh, like nobody else. Uh, so he would be uh, he would be another on there. And then just like looking for improvements, like Brian Anderson of the Marlins had some pretty significant improvements, uh, 2018 to 2019 that show up well in the uh, in the statistics. And Marcus Semyon is another player. Uh, who ha- showed a considerable improvement year to year uh, that shows up in the stats. I know I would have never put Jay Bruce as a top five right fielder for the last decade. Uh-huh. I know that would have never happened. <laughs> I would have gone back and started watching all the video. I'd have asked my guys. I'd been like, "Hey, who was who was paying attention when Jay Bruce was out here? What are you guys doing? You got it so wrong." So here's here's the thing that you have to remember: you and I and whoever. And now you with MLB TV, you can watch as many games as you can. But in reality, we're watching one uh, thirtieth of the schedule or one fifteenth of the schedule. The numbers see all the games and all the plays. So you might have seen a sample size that was too small to really make a legitimate evaluation about a guy. Uh, and you could be intellectually poisoned, uh, as I'm sure we all were when we were younger, uh, by... I just came up with that phrase. I'm sorry. That, that's beautiful. By, uh, by a guy missing a ball, like yeah. that could have gotten you for that could have scarred you for a long time, especially if it was yeah. on a team that you rooted for. When it turned out that he was actually pretty good. Yeah, that one play cost him ten runs throughout his career, just right. like that. Right, and, it's hard and, to make up. I want to say this too. It, the thing to remember with defensive run saves is it's a theoretical statistic. It's essentially an estimation. Um, it, it's not. Such and such went to the fence, went over the fence, and pulled back a home run. Oh, it was a grand slam, so he gets four runs saved. We're not doing that. We're presuming the guy would have gone back to the fence just as hard if there was nobody on base. So he gets a set value for the home run robbery instead of the runners on base. He gets a set value for uh, an assist, whether it's the eighth inning of a tie game or the first inning of a 6 nothing game. Yeah, uh, it's, in the end, it's it's kind of all the same. So we don't um, we don't um, we don't necessarily reward or punish based on the situation or the moment. Everything is kind of given an equal weight. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Gotcha. Yeah, it's... so the this book, right? I mean, this Bible um, loaded down with things that I love, right? I mean, like the last two hundred pages of this book. I mean, most of the last two hundred pages of the book, we've got team by team. What happened last year? What happened over the last five years? What are you expecting in the future? There's something for every fan, right? Uh, that's small section in comparison to players for everything that you got going back to 2003, as long as they meet certain credentials that they played X amount of you know games or X amount of innings out on the field or something to that effect, right? All that stuff is crazy awesome for somebody like me. But there's also for the, for the person that's reading, right, that wants – that's more of the – you know, not just here for the numbers type of person. I love the fact that you threw down some pretty cool interviews in the book, right? I mean, good grief. Ozzy Smith, you got to sit down with Ozzy Smith. That I mean, had to be he, cool. Does he sit down or does he like, well, back that was a phone call. To talk to him, right? Okay. These, these were all phone calls. Oh. Um, but oh no, Kevin, well, Kevin Pilar was in person, but we, the, the theme of, so we have a podcast. The theme of our podcast is defensive excellence. Uh, and I, um, the Giants were very helpful in getting us uh, a defensive, uh, a player whose defensive runs saved aren't necessarily good, but who is very, uh, used to be uh, very good, and who's a very aggressive defender and does mm-hmm. certain aspects of his game, like diving, uh, very well. 
So we we did talk to Kevin Pilar, and then from there we were able to get other interviews. We got Austin Hedges, we got Nick Ahmed, we got Charlie Hayes' son, who's one of the top defenders. Yeah, Cabrian Hayes. We just talked about to Stephen Nesbitt a couple weeks ago about him. He says he's on another planet defensively. And that's one of the coolest ones that I think that you got a hold of because, you know, you were able to talk to uh, greats like, you know, got to talk to Ozzy Smith. You got to talk to Austin Hedges, Mr. Framing extraordinaire, right? Um, Nick Ahmed, Ken Pilar today. But you talked to, to Cabrian Hayes. And I mean, that you, you got to be able to ask him, hey, what are they doing in the minor leagues? What are they doing to set you up to become that person that when I'm tracking my defense and you're in my fielding Bible when you make it up to the majors, <laughs> Right. What are they teaching you on your end to get to that point? Are they, and what are they teaching them? Are they teaching them what you're finding out? Is that what's going on, Mark? Yeah. It, um, so uh, the thing that he did that, that said that surprised me was he talked about the fact that they have cards uh, just like the major leaguers do. Like they've got the card in the pocket that tells them where to be for certain things. And they've got their shifting zones that they're supposed to stand in. Uh, and that the scouting reports are much more advanced uh, at the minor league level, I guess, than they used to be because they want to be able to simulate kind of a, a major league uh, game condition. I should mention that uh, Ozzy, so Ozzy Smith was not on our podcast uh, I was able to get a Q&A with him thanks to uh, a connection uh, who helped me out. Uh, and I, I had said all along that uh, I wanted uh, something in the book to represent, like, the ultimate in, uh, defensive excellence history. And who better to do that than someone okay. like Ozzy Smith? Yeah, absolutely. Can we, can we get your uh, contact for that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I can, I'll tell you, it was, I will say it because I'm, I'm good for Like, when I worked at ESPN, I was friends with a lot of the uh, on-ear talent uh, in a, in, you know, somewhat. And uh, Eduardo Perez uh, was able to track him oh, down wow. for us and uh, made it happen. Uh, and he, uh, he uh, it was very easy and it was very pleasant. And it was great to be able to talk to Ozzy Smith. That's awesome. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I want to kind of put you on the spot a little bit here. And uh, there's some names that I kind of want just your honest, like, you know, simple, you know, quick assessment on some of the names that we hear a lot thrown around in the modern game of like, you know, are these guys, and I just want you to tell me if you think they're as good or bad as we think they are. So pretty much on par with public perception, not as bad or not as good. So either like think of it as like, you know, uh, not as bad as we think they are, not as good as we think they are, or like kind of just about what we think, okay? Yeah. Right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Here we go. Bring it. Manny Machado. So Manny Machado had really good defensive metrics in the earlier part of his Orioles career at third base. He uh, he put up numbers that would rival Chapman or just about anyone. Uh, the move to shortstop seemed to take something away from him a little bit, and you saw it uh, at the tail end of his time with the Orioles. Uh, and with San Diego last year, it just seemed like there was something that was a little bit off in his game all the way around. Uh, I would say that he is... Um, I think that most people probably think of him as like a megastar defensively. I think he's below that. He's still probably pretty good. So I wouldn't necessarily say that he was like average or below average, right. but he's not necessarily in that megastar category like he used to be. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> Justin Upton. 
Uh, Justin Upton has gotten old. Um, <laughs> well, he was. You know, he's been dealing with injuries, right? Uh-huh. Like that. That's been an aspect of his career. Justin Upton's defensive value was partly aided uh, by a couple of things. I'm punching them up right now. One was home run robberies, uh, and uh, he. The year that he had, let's see, I'm looking. There's There were one or two years where his defensive numbers would have been worse had it not been for his home run robberies. He has sunk. Uh, last year, he was at negative 13 uh, in defensive runs saved, uh, which is about as bad as uh, you're going to find a left fielder to be. And that's in a pretty small sample. Uh, his weakness is his arm and always has been throughout his career. Uh, he could make up for it by getting to a lot of balls. He did not get to a lot of balls last season, though. Interesting. Okay, so he's just as he's as bad as we think he is, right now, probably. Okay, um, you know, a guy that I there there's two more I want to. Well, there's three, but I um I want to pick my one here. Okay, Buster Posey. Buster Posey is an outstanding catcher, uh, historically, and in the current day, he's maybe come down a notch, but not very much. Uh, Buster Posey is one of the top, has been one of the top pitch framers in the game. Uh, and that was particularly true when Madison Bumgarner was at his best because he could steal that outside corner pitch for Bumgarner and get him extra strikes really well. Uh, he's also very good at where the other things, whether it be blocking pitches or defensing the bunt. Uh, he finished well in defensive run saved last season, despite the fact that he doesn't hit anymore. Uh, he's very good. And I, I, I would say, uh, I guess, depending on your perception, he's either better than we give him credit for, or he's the same if you think that he's really good. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Last one. I got to use this one wisely here. Um, hmm. Okay. Uh, you get one if you want to go into detail, two if you want to be quick. Um, Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant doesn't rate well by defensive runs saved, and I don't necessarily have a good handle as to why that is. I can cheat here and try and punch it up on my screen while we do this, and I've just done that. Uh, The issue that Chris Bryant had last season was on balls hit in the shortstop third base hole and balls hit in that area that you would kind of define as at him, more or less. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was fine on balls hit where he had to range to his right to make the play. Uh, But last year, he did not rate well on balls uh, in the shortstop third base hole. He has never rated elite for us. He has uh, always rated as either slightly above or more commonly a little bit below average. Uh, So I guess he's probably at third base worse than people think he is. All right, last one. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper made significant improvements last season. Uh, In 2018, his last year with the Nationals, his defensive numbers were terrible. And uh, whether that is because his knees were problematic or Nationals fans certainly complained about uh, him going for balls and not they felt like he didn't necessarily have his heart in it sometimes. Uh, last year, he showed that and then some. Uh, he led the majors in what I what we call the telegenic statistic, <laughs> which is the combination of sliding, diving, and jumping catches. And he led by a good amount. Uh, so he went after the ball last year and went after it pretty well. I think he finished with 10 runs saved in right field. Uh, he And I think that his doing that, diving for balls, made a big difference uh and also the fact that he went from 
we measure uh, outfield assists by whether or not the guy made the assist himself and didn't have a relay man. Yeah. He had none in 2018 in right field. He had nine last season. So wow. whatever it was, whether he was getting to balls quicker or the arm was working better, he was pretty good. So I would say he's better He he's better today than what you probably perceive it. Interesting. Oh, okay. And I get one. I get one, right? Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, Jim, Jim. Go. Joey Votto. My man, Joey Votto. Joey Votto, I'm going to refer you to a page in the book. Because on page 64, we end the, the section uh, on Joey Votto by saying, By all accounts, Votto is attentive to the subject and use of analytics in baseball. We just want to make sure he knows that we've paid attention these last three years. <laughs> his defensive metrics are quite good. He's a very good first baseman. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Well, it just shows that that's not a power position anymore. It, that defense is important, right? That's and right. First base doesn't have to be that. It's not power just Doug Minkiewicz anymore. Yeah, power <laughs> power comes from second base from that's here right. on out. That's where it comes from. Well, so. uh, hey, Mark, uh, man, this has been such a pleasure. Um, Jim, did you have anything you wanted to ask before we before we go? Hell, man, I, there was only one other thing that I really had, but it was. It was something from like I don't know. Uh, I was a much younger person uh, when I first heard that uh, that Mark had the ability to recite things. Yes. Is, is that oh, some? Do we, do we really it, want to do this? I don't think we should get really into it. But right. from my understanding, go ahead. T- just at least tell us what you right. can recite. So I know the last batter of the World Series from current going back like I don't know 70 years maybe and just to do like the 70s for you and hopefully I'll get these right Pat Corrales in 1970 the Reds against the Orioles Merv Rettenman in uh, 1971 against Steve Blass and the Pirates 72 is Pete Rose a fly ball to Joe Rudy of the A's the first of the three straight for the A's which go Pete Rose Wayne Garrett popping out uh, for my Mets uh, in 1973, and then Vaughn Joshua of the 74 uh, uh, Dodgers. Uh, if you've ever seen the video of that, that's Rolly Fingers fielding the ground ball and then doing a little dance <laughs> as he throws it to first base. Yeah. 75 is Carly Ostremski. 76 is Roy White of the Yankees against the Reds, the four-game sweep. Uh, 77 is kind of neat. Lee Lacey pops up a bunt to Mike Torres. The same Mike Torres who gets the last out of the World Series for the Yankees and the next year gives up the home run to Bucky Dent uh, as a Red Sox. And that led to Ron Say popping out to the catcher to end the World Series for the 1978 Yankees. And just to round out the decade, Pat Kelly of the 1979 Orioles flying out to center field to end the three games to one comeback by the Pirates. They win game seven on the road. That's your 1970 to 1979 last batters of the World Series. It's ridiculous. It's stupid, but I memorized things. <laughs> well, I have good memory. Uh, I did I did all the World Series winners one time. Uh, I don't think I could do that right now, but it's just pattern recognition and just kind of like, like you would remember a song, uh, more or less. And yes, that's something really dorky that I do. And if you like dorky things uh, and you like uh, baseball knowledge and learning more about baseball, in an interesting and cool way buy a fielding bible buy a fielding get, bible people get it right okay there's a couple places you can get it yes actasports.com and amazon those are your two primary outlets at this point actasports is a-c-t-a sports.com and then amazon yeah definitely check it out it's ridiculously loaded down with numbers and great stories and very good descriptions right it's a it's, it hits a all points on the on the defense it's awesome 
it's yep. it's honestly it's fantastic and mark it's such a privilege to spend some time with you and um where can people find you on social media Sure. You can find me at sportsinfo underscore SIS if you want to follow on Twitter. You can also find me at Mark A. Simon Says. My middle initial is A. Mark Simon Says was taken. Mark A. Simon Says on Twitter. I'm there. Uh, and you can uh, find me there. I send out dorky stats and comments about uh, baseball and lots of defense and uh, walk off home runs. Walk off home runs and met the Mets 100 greatest home runs and New York Rangers hockey tidbits and things of that sort. Dude, so. yeah, great follow, you guys. You got if you're not following Mark, you got to be following Mark. It's ridiculous. Get on it. Well, thank you again, and uh, and hopefully we'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah, please.